I began my law enforcement career in the 1980s. There was a lot of attention to drug crimes then. And if you were in possession of a syringe without a prescription, it was a misdemeanor. If you told me back then that I'd be here 30 years later advocating that we provide sterile syringes to injecting drug users, I would have called you crazy. But things change. We now have evidence that syringe programs work. There are demonstrated reductions in disease. And when there are safer injection practices by users, that means they're safer, their families, partners, children, and so are the first responders who encounter them. We know that the best way to eliminate drug-related HIV and other infectious disease is to abstain from drug use, but for those with addiction, that can be easier said than done. So we talk about harm reduction, reducing risk through certain measures. One of those measures is syringe exchange programs. I've talked with officers who believe that syringe programs cause crime, that they result in more discarded syringes, or that they encourage drug use. But I'm here to tell you, according to credible research, that's not the case. What's more, take a look at the evidence. I mean, as cops, that's how we assess things, right? We make decisions every single day on evidence, things we see, things we're told, and the conclusions we draw from those things. So what's the evidence about syringe programs? When you look at HIV and AIDS, there have been many milestones in treatment since AIDS first came on the radar in 1982. A report from the CDC says there is significant evidence that prevention can and does work when we apply what we know. The report goes on to say that with more people living with HIV, there's more opportunity for transmission. But HIV transmission has not increased. So it seems that people are taking preventive measures. There are several factors, but when we look at prevention, specifically factors relating to injecting drug users, syringe exchange is important in preventing the spread of HIV and other disease. I think it's important for law enforcement, as well as our elected officials and the community, to understand what most of these syringe programs do. It's not just about getting clean syringes and collecting used syringes. It's about opportunities to quit. It's about support. It's about health care, disease prevention, social interactions, pharmacy, pantry services, blood testing, and more. In law enforcement, we've learned certain things over the years. Zero tolerance for drug offenses is not a cure-all. We still need to be vigilant in enforcement, but we cannot be blind to the fact that many users want to quit, they just haven't been able to. For those who are trying, and even for those who cannot, focusing on harm reduction is a logical place to be. New York State has had syringe programs authorized under state law for over 20 years. Persons can register and lawfully possess hypodermic syringes and needles. Syringes obtained under New York State's Syringe Exchange Program, the Expanded Syringe Access Program, or under the Opioid Overdose Prevention Program are lawfully possessed. Let's talk a little bit more about each of these three programs. The state's oldest program is the Syringe Exchange Program, or SEP, authorized under Section 3381 of the Public Health Law and Regulations it permits injection drug users to exchange used syringes for new sterile ones. 
Once a person's enrolled in SCP, they receive an identification card with a unique identifier and are instructed to return used syringes. These exchange sites are located in New York City and in upstate New York. A couple important points. There's no limit on the number of syringes that can be possessed, and there's no limit on the number of syringes per transaction under this program. And the law does not specify any minimum age for participation in SCP. In 2000, the New York State Legislature changed the public health law to authorize a program to expand access to sterile needles and syringes. The Expanded Syringe Access Program, or ESAP, is found in Section 3381 of the Public Health Law. These syringe programs help to prevent bloodborne disease, most notably HIV, AIDS, Hepatitis B, and Hepatitis C. ESAP allows over-the-counter sale of syringes without a prescription by pharmacies and registered Article 28 facilities and individual providers, including healthcare facilities and healthcare practitioners. Consumers do not need to enroll in this program, so there are no ID cards issued. Consumers are not required to keep receipts if syringes are purchased at pharmacies. The bottom line here is that the law does not mandate that consumers possess proof that syringes were obtained through an ESAP provider. Here's a few key points for this program. Licensed pharmacies, healthcare facilities, and healthcare practitioners who can otherwise prescribe hypodermic syringes or needles may register with the Department of Health to sell or furnish up to 10 hypodermic needles or syringes to persons 18 years of age or older per transaction. And the law does not limit the number of transactions. So under ESAP, a person can legally possess more than 10 syringes. It's important to note the impact of the public health law when considering Penal Law Section 22045, which makes it a Class A misdemeanor to knowingly and unlawfully possess a hypodermic syringe or needle. Section 3381 of the public health law permits the sale or provision of up to 10 syringes or needles without a prescription. So under ESAP, those who sell or furnish a hypodermic in accordance with 3381 and Department of Health regulations will not be doing so unlawfully. And remember, the public health law does not limit the number of 10 syringe transactions that can occur, so the possession of a syringe in and of itself under any of these programs is not unlawful. The last program I want to talk about is the Opioid Overdose Prevention Program, but before we talk about what it is, let's talk about why. In 2013, there were 2,175 fatalities from drug overdose in New York State. Of those, just over 1,600 were attributed to opioids. So, Section 3309 of the Public Health Law took effect in 2006, and it allows trained responders to possess naloxone, also known as Narcan, to reverse opioid overdoses. Naloxone is a prescription medicine that reverses an overdose by blocking heroin or other opioids in the brain for 30 to 90 minutes. Trained responders are not required to keep the prescription for naloxone in their possession, and they're not required to carry proof that they've received the training. But agencies providing the training are required to keep a list of those who complete the programs. Many first responders have received this training, but you should know that anyone can take this course and carry naloxone.
For all of these programs, here are some things you should know from the law as well as from the New York Code of Rules and Regulations. First, there are no geographical limitations restricting where participants can carry syringes. These are statewide initiatives and participants within these programs can possess hypodermic instruments anywhere within New York State. Second, there's no cap on the number of syringes a person can legally possess, even for ESAP consumers. While ESAP providers can't sell or furnish more than 10 syringes per transaction, there are no restrictions in the law or regulations about how many syringes consumers can legally possess at any one time. And remember, while there is a minimum age requirement for ESAP participants, 18, there's no such restriction for syringe exchange program participants or for the trained responders in the opioid overdose prevention program. Those programs can serve minors subject to the policies and procedures of the individual programs. In 2010, the penal law was changed. It used to be a violation of criminal possession of a controlled substance, seventh degree, to possess any amount of a controlled substance. But now, residual amounts of a controlled substance in or on a program syringe, it's not a crime. It's not a violation. The law allows users to responsibly return syringes to a disposal site without fear of arrest. It's also important to remember that 220.45 of the penal law, criminally possessing a hypodermic, does not apply to a program syringe or if it's discovered in the course of a Good Samaritan Act. If there's an overdose or life-threatening emergency and healthcare is summoned in good faith, then neither the Good Samaritan nor the victim can be charged or prosecuted for a controlled substance or marijuana offense or for possession of alcohol or drug paraphernalia. The exemption from prosecution does not apply to certain trafficking crimes. We've talked about a number of things, syringe programs, overdose prevention, and changes in state law. We put together a sample policy to help law enforcement agencies in working with syringe programs and consumers in their jurisdiction. It includes definitions and law citations for syringe programs, changes to criminal possession of a controlled substance seventh degree, the Good Samaritan Law, opioid overdose prevention program, and suggestions for liaisons between police and syringe programs. I think one of the most important messages for my colleagues in law enforcement is that this is not an us against them situation. When you look at the benefits to public safety and public health, syringe programs just make sense. The lifetime cost to treat one person infected with HIV is about $350,000 for one person. The risk to drug users, their partners, and children is reduced when they have access to sterile syringes, and the risk to first responders is reduced. These programs are not providing narcotics, they're providing sterile syringes to prevent disease. And here's some of the most compelling proof I've seen. In 1992, 52% of new AIDS cases were among injection drug users. In 2012, the risk through injection drug use accounted for only 3% of new HIV cases.